morning church and we're in Matthew chapter 1 and I will try and get through this genealogy uh, Jackie has this weird sense of humor he just enjoys watching us struggle through this so the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David the son of Abraham Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers and Judah and the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar and Perez the father of Hezron and Hezron the father of Ram and Ram the father of Amminadab and Amminadab the father of Nashon and Nashon the father of Solomon and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shittil, and Shittil the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abud, and Abud the father of Elikim, and Elikim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zodak, and Zodak the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Elud, and Elud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, to whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus took place in, a way, in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they, became, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is, she has conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took his wife, but knew her not until he had, she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you as your church. We're just so grateful, Father, that we're able to
do communion with you today, Lord. Lord, I just pray that every day would be communion with you, that every day we would turn to you for our, our salvation, for our healing, for our confidence, and for our strength, Lord. Lord, we pray for anointing on Jackie as he teaches your word today. We pray for open ears and open hearts that we might take what you have for us in and incorporate into our daily lives. Lord, we just pray for this church and all in it. We pray, Son Jesus. Amen. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14. From the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14. In the middle of the genealogy, and we're going to see the importance of this in just a moment, the focus of the genealogy for Matthew, two things, remember the number 14 is pointing to the son of David. It's pointing to Messiah. It's, it's emphasizing son of David, son of David. Sorry, kids. See you guys. Peace. Somehow I'll blame that on announcements. <laughs> Probably not. So, emphasis, right? Son of David, son of David, son of David. And then the middle of that genealogy hinges on the exile. And there's a reason that's important. Because the exile is the lowest point for the nation of Israel in their history. And they're still waiting for their high point. I know some people will tell you that 1948 or 1964 or, or another is, is, is their high point. To me, their next high point is when they lift their eyes to their Messiah and they mourn as one mourns for an only son. Before that, the exile is saying to the, to the nation of Israel what Isaiah the prophet said to him when he was prophesying about Assyria. He said he would lay out these prophecies, a prophecy about the nation of Israel and this beautiful prophecy about how they love God and they're following him. And then he'd lay out this prophecy of condemnation about they're following uh, of idols and they're, they're joining themselves to the immoral woman, the whole picture of idolatry in the Old Testament. And, and the whole story of Isaiah is this story. How does this Israel become that one? And Matthew, when he gives the genealogy, he says the hinge for understanding the role of Messiah is the exile, the low point. When Israel is sent into refugee status. Oh, they're going to return to the land and they'll rebuild Jerusalem and they'll even rebuild the temple and they'll have a, a, a nation, but they never rule themselves. You don't have anybody on the throne of David. And for 400 years, you have this deafening silence as God sends no prophets to the nation. Until the day John the Baptist shows up. And when John the Baptist shows up, the message is, make straight the paths for the Lord. Messiah is come. Repent, prepare your heart, for the king is coming. So everything they've been looking forward to culminates in the gospel 
story in the, in the appearance of Messiah. And if you keep that kind of in the back of your mind, maybe that will make a little bit more sense as we continue going through. In verse 18 it says, Now the birth of Jesus took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So you have to understand how marriage works, because the marriages our day and their day are different. A marriage our day is pretty much one day, right? You come, you have a wedding, you have a reception, maybe it goes all night, and then it's over. <clears throat> that wasn't a wedding for the Jewish people. First, there was a contract. Two families would get together. And they would make the choice to wed a daughter with a son. And they would sign a contract. And the moment they signed that contract, they were engaged and they would call one another husband and wife. And the only way to break that contract was a divorce. There had been no ceremony yet. Now sometime later there would be a ceremony under the chuppah. The chuppah is that square piece that you see. Uh, sometimes people get married under it, even in Western marriages. They would have a ceremony under the chuppah. And the ceremony would discuss the responsibilities, the blessings would be given over them. And they would celebrate this, uh, this moment beneath the chuppah. They would uh, drink the wine. And then the husband would leave for a year. Oh, yeah, it's a long wait, huh? <laughs> so the husband would go to his father's house and prepare a place for his bride. And at some point along the way of the preparation, the father would say to his son, it's time. Tradition was they would always do it late at night, and they'd make a big procession through the streets, lots of noise, and people dancing and singing as the bride... Uh, hears the bridegroom coming from a ways off. And then he would come outside her house and her and her bridesmaids would be ready and they'd run down and he would take her away for the marriage supper. That is when the wedding would be consummated. And it would be a party that lasted seven days. Now, when we read this section, there's a lot of implications, by the way, prophetically, in that marriage, in Jesus' marriage to uh, the bride of Christ, you might want to just think those things through a little bit. We may talk about some of them today, but for the most part, I want you to understand what's going on with Mary. So they have done the contract, and they have probably done the ceremony under the chuppah. And then Joseph goes away to prepare a place. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. You guys remember the story, right? And she comes back pregnant. This is a problem, right? In Luke chapter 1, we can read about it. In verse 26, you can see what's going to happen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee, uh, named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. You guys get that, right? If an angel shows up and says, hey, how you doing? <laughs> you don't think the angel just showed up for that, right? 
It's like, whoa, why are you here? What's going on? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is also called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, she's going to go visit Elizabeth. And you know the baby's going to leap in Elizabeth's womb because the baby in Elizabeth's womb is John the Baptist, the prophet after 400 years of silence being born and he knows the prophet from the womb that messiah is there and he leaps now the bible doesn't tell us how long mary stayed there but when she came home you could tell she was pregnant joseph is preparing a place for her and he's making a place ready but but it, it comes to light, oh, Mary's pregnant, and Joseph knows it's not his. It's not his baby. And we see not only is the birth of Jesus unusual, not only do we see the, this impact of the virgin birth, which we're going to talk about throughout the day, but Joseph was an unusual man. The whole circumstance was filled with unusual uh, attributes. <clears throat> Verse 19, it says, her husband Joseph being a just man, now that word just, righteous man, uh, carries with it not only the idea of doing things that are right, but filled with compassion. You know, you can be a just man or a righteous man and have no compassion, right? But that wasn't who Joseph was. He was filled with, with justice, righteousness, and compassion, and he was unwilling to put her to shame. He did not want to hurt her. Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 23 says, If there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, and you shall bring them both out of the gate of the city and stone them to death. But that seems bad, right? The young woman, because she did not cry for help, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife, and thus you will purge the evil from your midst. Joseph knows the law, but he doesn't want to do that. He loves Mary. A lot of times we look at the Bible and the idea of arranged marriages and we think they all have to be loveless because, you know, that's what they do in the movies. You know, if you have to be arranged, you must hate the one you're arranged to. But the Bible doesn't talk about it like that. So Joseph, because he loves her, he just, wants to, he just wants to quietly divorce her, not make a big deal about it, not drag her out into the, the middle of the court for judgments. He's just, he just thinking, I'm just going to, to let her go. I don't want to shame her. He has love and respect for Mary. 
It says in verse 20, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And the angel of the Lord called him something in particular. Joseph, what? Son of David. Remember the emphasis of the genealogy? Just so you know, <clears throat> Joseph's dad was not named David. We know who his dad is. In Luke 3.23, it says that Joseph was the son of Heli. But here he's called the son of David. Why? Because he's making the connection. Hey, this is important because the claim to the throne is going to come through the adoption that Joseph gives to Mary's son. He comes to him and he calls him Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing weird that's gone on. What has occurred, the Bible calls in the Gospel of Luke, the overshadowing of God. That God, that phrase, overshadow, is a similar phrase to what's used in the temple when the kabod, the weightiness of God, descended upon the temple like a cloud. And, it, and the weightiness of God was so amazing, so impactful, that the priests had to run out of the temple. The glory of God descending on the tabernacle. Well, the same thing here. The glory of God descended on Mary and he laid within her a child who would be Christ the Lord. His glory deposited there. So the, the angels address to Joseph, his son of David, saying, hey, Joseph, you are important here too. We wouldn't need you otherwise. You are an important part of this. And so he wants them to know, don't be afraid. This is not Mary being unfaithful to you. Now the reason why this is so important takes us back to the exile. In the exile, why are the children of Israel in the refugee status? Why don't they have a king? Why are they, why are they floundering and not having any real spiritual life? Because they have been an unfaithful bride to God. In fact, the, the Old Testament prophets would declare, God would declare, I'm divorcing you. But in the story uh, of Scripture, the word lays out for us in Hosea that God's going to go get her back. That he'll pay the bride price and he will bring her home, right? Scripture talks about that as well. So she's in this state. Here you have the Mary, who's going to be the mother of the Christ, who's going to be accused her whole life of being unfaithful, only she never was. Just like Jesus is going to be accused his whole life about being unfaithful, being a servant of the devil, but he never was. The accusations thrown out against the Christ and his mother and, and the disciples and the church is going to be an expression of her lostness. And the Christ is coming to buy her back. To purchase the bride, but the purchase is going to be through his blood. This angel tells Joseph, she will bear a son. 
far as I know, they didn't have ultrasounds back then. The angel says, she will bear a son, the promise of a son. Look, we need to understand as we look at this section that there is something specific we want to see. We want to see the reality of a savior promised, a son predicted, and the solution provided for the lostness of humanity. And so you have this Savior promise, we're going to see that. We're going to see a son predicted. We're going to see that. And the solution to it all, we can see it in the pages of Scripture. Joseph, don't be afraid. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Yehoshua. The Hebrew would be Joshua. English version doesn't sound quite like the Hebrew version. The Greek is Jesus, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Yehoshua means Yahweh saves. Why are you going to call him Jesus? For he will save his people from the Romans. He's going to save his people from their sin. He's going, he's the solution to the problem. The son predicted the Savior that is needed. This is what we see throughout this section. You will call his name Jesus. He's the promise of a Savior. He will save his people from their sins. In Hebrews 7.25 it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. I think it was McGee who said, he's, He'll take us from the guttermost to the uttermost. He is able to save us to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is the Savior that is needed. His people, they will receive this salvation through his uh, provision. His purpose, he's going to save them from their sins. This is not a new idea. Psalm 130 verse 8 says, And he, speaking of God, he will redeem Israel from all his iniquity. Well, that's a big word. Let me say it to you at the simpler one. And he will redeem Israel from all his sin. He will save his people from their sin. Luke 19.10 tells us that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul would write, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. I am foremost. I'm the biggest sinner of them all. This is what Paul was declaring. Even the naming of Jesus is, is unusual. Yehoshua, he will save his people from their sin because God is a savior. Verse 22 says, And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew is going to use this phrase 37 times. And this was done to fulfill the scripture. And this was done to fulfill the scripture. 
And this was done to fulfill the scripture. He's going to point to it over and over again. And this time he uses the setting of Isaiah. In Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7 to 39 deals with the idea of trusting God, learning to trust him. If you trust in the nations, that'll bring desolation. If you trust in God, that will bring salvation. If you trust in the nations, that will bring desolation. The king at the time in Isaiah chapter 7 is King Ahaz. King Ahaz is the king of Judah. He has a couple of enemies. The northern kingdom, Samaria, the Israel. The northern kingdom has banded together. Uh, and they have joined, he has joined, they have joined uh, Syria, I think. I'll look at it in a minute. And they are trying to fight Assyria, who's the top of the food chain at the time of Isaiah. And so King Ahaz, they try to invite King Ahaz, come help us. King Ahaz says, no, I'm staying out of it. So the the king of Israel, he says, all right, then we're going to come whoop you. So King Ahaz has a, 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 a... an opportunity in front of him. He's got two enemies that want to come against him. A big world superpower that is taking over the world, conquering people right and left. <clears throat> he can choose to seek God and trust in him for salvation. Or he can make a deal with Assyria. What do you think he does? Makes a deal with Assyria. Crazy, huh? Makes a deal with Assyria, sends Assyria a bunch of money, tells Assyria, hey, go whoop those guys. They're threatening to whoop me, and I'm with you. I want to be with you. Now, the Assyrians were not good people, right? When they conquered a place, they did bad things to human beings with spears everywhere. They'd stake them all along the road. But King Ahaz would rather align himself with that power than to seek the Lord God and his deliverance. So the question is all about a question of trust. You remember I told you about Isaiah. It's about this Israel and that Israel. How does this wicked Israel who doesn't trust God become the Israel who does? And so Isaiah the prophet, he goes to King Ahaz. In Isaiah chapter 7, we'll we'll back up and look at verse 13. Isaiah the prophet says to King Ahaz, look, God has decided he's going to deliver you. Now, if you want to know for sure God's going to do this, you ask the Lord a sign and he'll give you one. So he said to them, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you will weary God also? Ahaz has said, he says, Ahaz, give, ask the Lord, he'll give you a sign. Ahaz says, oh, no, it's okay. I don't need a sign from God. I already got a deal. Well, he doesn't say the I already got a deal part. He just says, oh, it's okay. I, I don't need a sign. So the prophet says, so it's not enough for you to weary men. You're also going to weary God. Verse 14 is one you know. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, most preachers stop there. This one doesn't do that. Sorry. 
you are going to have to know what this is all about. You will call his name Emmanuel. He, this child, shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before this boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. And the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. So he's saying, not only are those two guys going to be gone, Assyria, who you made the deal with, they're going to be outside your door. Now, the sign that is given to Ahaz says, Behold, a virgin will conceive, and you will call his name Emmanuel. And then he tells us about the child. Listen, there is no way to make this only about Jesus. There's no way to do that. This was a message to Ahaz. And it is also a message about the Messiah. To pretend that is not so is a mistake. There's a reason we understand that when we look at the prophecy because Isaiah in his wisdom chose the word Alma to define the virgin. Alma can mean both a virgin or a young woman. There's a Hebrew word, Betula, that only means virgin. He didn't use that. He chose Alma for a reason. Because Alma can mean both. Virgin and a woman. And you remember I told you that one of the biggest things these people are wrestling with in exile, how the, what the Jews are wrestling with in exile, is how can we be God's people and in this place? Ezekiel's very first dream from the refugee camp is God on his throne chariot standing with Ezekiel in Babylon. And Ezekiel is saying to him, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be in the temple in Jerusalem. But God left the temple in Jerusalem. He is with the remnant. He is not with the posers. He's not with the professors. He is with the possessors. And they're standing there in the refugee camp thinking, we must be hated. How can God be with us? How can God be with us here? And the prophecy of Isaiah is about trying to understand this child and how the circumstances they're about to go through can say, God is with us. So as we look at it, we, we want to interpret for the local, for the local um, understanding of the prophecy to King Ahaz. We're going to broaden it in a minute, but to understand the local prophecy to King Ahaz, all we have to do is read the next chapter. In Isaiah chapter 8, we'll just read the first four verses. It says, Then the Lord said to me, to Isaiah, Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters, Belonging, now you think you had a rough time. Phil, I hear people crying about having to read a couple of names. You go ahead. <laughs> this is Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Yeah, that's quite the name. You shall write on it, belonging to Maher Shalal Hashbaz. 
And I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest, Zechariah the son of Jerobachiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to me, Call his name Macher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. Does that sound familiar at all? Before the boy knows right from wrong. Before the boy can say daddy or mommy. Those people are going to be taken away. Now a lot of people will say how can this be a sign? What do you mean how can this be a sign? The sign is a woman's going to give birth to a child. In this case I believe it's Isaiah's wife. The prophetess. They call the child Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. Which... If I remember, means I got it written down here. I won't even try to do it by memory. It means the spoil speeds the prey hastens, and he's going to do that now in in Isaiah eight eight and Isaiah eight ten, uh, just so we can kind of understand. It says, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Same chapter talking about Mahar Shalal Hashbaz uses the phrase Emmanuel twice. Isaiah 8.8, Isaiah 8.10. Now, I told you there's a local fulfillment to King Ahaz. And there's a greater fulfillment. And I want to explain how we know that to be true. And, and hopefully do it in a way that we're going to be able to understand. At the time that this is given, the house of David has no hope. The house of David's about to end. Right after Assyria comes Babylon. After Babylon, you have your last four kings. After those four kings, you have a mediocre state of Israel until its destruction in 70 AD. Now you have a state of Israel back today. Israel's back. That, I'm not saying that's not a miracle. I just am saying that when the Bible points to Israel being back in the land, she's back in the land with her eyes on her Messiah, on her king, proclaiming blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm still looking for that day. It'll come. It'll come. So this is the state. They're, they're in a place. And so the concept of having a dual focus on this prophecy hinges on the word Alma. Because for the local fulfillment, Alma means a woman's going to have a child. And before that child knows mom or dad, right or wrong, those enemies are going to be taken down. That's the sign. Those enemies are going to be taken down. Now, after these events took place, when the Septuagint is written, and the rabbis gather and they look at Isaiah 7.14, they are still looking for the hope of their king because they have no king. And so they write in the Septuagint, the Parthenos, Parthenos will conceive. The Greek word parthenos only means virgin. Does not mean anything else. Matthew is going to quote from the Septuagint 
And he's going to say, the virgin will conceive. This is what Jesus Christ is fulfilling. But what about the idea of you shall call his name Emmanuel? What about that idea? No man ever fathered uh, a child and called his name God with us. Who is this child? Well, at the time of Ahaz, it's Meher Shalal Hashbaz. He's the sign to the king. Before he knows right or wrong, your enemies are going to be destroyed and Assyria will be outside your gates. But it leaves a desire for something else. How do we know God is with us? How do we know God is here? How do we know that that the transcendent God is also the God who's with us, eminent. The transcendent God of Isaiah 55, that you, his, high, his ways are higher, you can't really put your hand on him, is also the God that you can put your hand on. How do we know those two things are real? This was a picture in Ahaz's time of a fulfillment that would come hundreds of years later. Hundreds of years later, after a silent time, a prophet would arise on the scene and say, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming. Prepare your heart, Messiah is coming. And we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, we can know absolutely that the transcendent God is also the God who walks with us and talks with us and is here. We can absolutely know that if a virgin gives birth to a child, that will be the sign that God is with us. God's presence was there with Ahab, Ahaz, but it's going to come and he's going to go. He's going to leave the temple. He's going to go to the prophets. He's going to appear to the men who are faithful. He's going to try to encourage the people to come back into the land. And he's going to give them the promise more and more frequently through the prophets from Isaiah to Jeremiah to Ezekiel to Daniel and on and on all the way through the list. The prophets are going to point to Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming. The exile is the hinge. They're there in refugee camps. What's our hope? Where are we going? Where's God? God, are you here? Are you with us? I can answer that question. Yes, he was with them. God was with them, but they couldn't touch him. God was with them, but they couldn't hold him. But there is a day, a moment, a time in history when not only is the transcendent God going to be with us, but you're going to be able to look in his eyes, touch his hand. He's going to reach his hand across and touch you. The transcendent God will become the imminent God, the God who is with us. He will be the reality of our experience. He will be gathered in that place, this God, is who Jesus Christ is. And you will call his name Jesus. Don't miss this part. Matthew, one of the, one of the re- people get on my case all the time because I say things like, there's no apostles today. And there's no prophets. 
Because the apostle and the prophet had a unique responsibility. They had to deliver to you the official word of God. Matthew, under the authority of an apostle, can tell you what the Bible means. I can stand before you and try to uh, unveil it and make it so that you're able to see, but I don't have authority over the word. The word has authority over me. There are no apostles. Are there people sent out? Yes. So little a apostles? Yeah. Little p prophets? For sure. Does God still speak through people today? I believe he does. But does he give us his word like he did in the Old Testament? No. His word's finished. Big A apostle, no big A apostles. Nobody has that authority. If the church sends you out as a missionary, you're a little A apostle. Everybody get what I'm saying? Matthew as an apostle, he's writing the New Testament. There's no big A apostles today. Nobody should be writing the next book of the New Testament. New Testament's done. That office is closed. Those gifts were given to the church for sure. And that's how we have the word of God before us today. Matthew, he looks at this and he says, listen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin Parthenos, the actual virgin, will conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. They will call him God with us. Jesus is going to stand in Caesarea Philippi and he's going to look over at Matthew and Mark's going to be there. Probably Luke was around. He's going to look over at Peter and he's going to say, Peter, who do men say that I am? And he's going to say, well, they say this, some say this, some say that. Peter, who do you say I am? He says, I say you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is going to say, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Peter. But my Father in heaven, the proclamation, they shall say, God is with us. His name will be Jesus. But Matthew, as an apostle, with the authority of apostle, he says, and they will call his name, God with us. And you can know God has been with us because no man has seen the Father at any time but Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He, God in the bosom of the Father. That's why I love the ESV. God in the bosom of the Father reveals God to us. We don't want to lessen who Christ is. He is God of very God. God is indeed with us. So when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took his wife. But he did not know her until she had given birth to a son. So they never did the third part of the wedding. In fact, that third part of the wedding, there'll never be a wedding supper. There'll never be the seven-day party that all the other girls got. Mary doesn't get any of that. That's why in the Gospel of John, the first miracle starts where? At a wedding, at the marriage supper, seven-day marriage feast. 
And Jesus gives a gift to his mom. When she asks him, hey, we're out of wine. I know, he says, woman, what do I have to do with you? I say that all the time, and then I turn around. <laughs> then I turn around and do whatever she asked me to do. <laughs> Jesus turned around, and he, Mary knows it because when she's leaving, she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So she knows what's going on. And by the way, that word Jesus uses is not a derogatory term like it sounds in English. It was a term of respect. But he's letting her know, this, this is for you, Mom. I think it's cool that the God of the universe does that. That's pretty amazing. The God you can touch. The God you can know. He did not know her until she had given birth. And they had a quiet ceremony. Jesus had brothers and sisters. I know. If you have a Catholic background, that freaks you out a little bit. But it's in the Bible. <laughs> he had brothers and sisters. And he called his name Jesus. Here he comes. You ready? I hope he will come today. So Matthew chapter 1 gives us this ideal. Listen, throughout the Old Testament scriptures, a savior, a savior is promised. The son was predicted. And the solution for our sin problem for the presence of God in our life, all those things are solved in Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior. All of them are solved in him. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word <clears throat> declared to us. We thank you for... Your provision, we thank you for the signs, the hinge being the exile, the son of David being the point, Messiah, 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 everything that was missing in the exile, the promise of the son that was at least a, a shadow revealed to Ahaz is, finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. When the virgin, the real virgin, she conceives rabbis everywhere after the time of Ahaz, we're still looking for the fulfillment of Messiah being born of a virgin. The expectation was great, but man from the exile forward was longing to hear the voice of God saying, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. But there was no voice. It was quiet. Was so quiet, men began to write spurious works. They're called the Second Temple Writings, pretending to be voice of God, but in reality, it was just the voice of men. And one day, a prophet, a little bit of a wild man, he'd have been a good biker. eating locusts and honey, wild beard, wild hair. He come walking through town and he said, make your path straight, Messiah's coming. 
repent and prepare your heart. Turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. Be ready, Messiah is coming. And just like was promised hundreds of years earlier, a virgin conceived, and nobody knew the story. We're declaring it. Most of people said she was an unfaithful wife, but she knew who she was. God knew who she was. Joseph knew who she was. And not in a palace, not in a big fancy building with all the wealthy or all the politically strong or all the nations around him. Nope. In a manger with a bunch of animals. The only one who professed and proclaimed his birth was a group of angels and some shepherds. That's beautiful. The God of the universe in a barn. Uh, Lord, I, I just am so blown away. Next week we get to we get to look a little bit at the wise men and the prophetic value of their profession. We get to see, God, the beauty of you being the Savior you always said you were. Over and over again, you'd say to Israel, I'm your Savior, I'm your Savior, but they wanted saved right now from whatever they were facing, but you wanted to save them from their sin. So you gave them a son. And he brought the solution. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for the remission of your sin. He is our sin sacrifice. And he is worthy. God, we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.